Father God, I ask that you would really bless our time as we study your word together. What an amazing, amazing example Daniel sets for us, but what's way beyond Daniel is, is who you are and the power, the strength that you gave to Daniel, your presence with Daniel, the proclamation of your name as Daniel faithfully serves you and lives a life that's holy. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'd like you to do something for me as we get started this morning. I want you to, to close your eyes for a second. Just, just everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think of a time or place, event, group of people where you felt the safest and the securest in your life. I just want you to, to, to get that in your mind right now as, as we envision that. The emotions that came around that. Okay. Everybody got that idea in their mind? I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it. You may have to think about it for a moment. All right, open your eyes up if you would. What are some of the places you thought of? Anybody? Home. Okay. You're not going to brag for a second? My wife, when I asked her this question this week, she said was my arms. Yay. <laughs> it was before then. <laughs> Another place. Oh, don't be shy. Sunday mornings. Outstanding. Where is that, Lois? Church family. By a show of hands, how many would you be excited? Now, some of you are feeling that way as you've expressed already. But by a show of hands, how many would be excited if I told you that you could experience a sense of safety and security on a regular basis and you wouldn't have to travel to a specific destination, be around a certain group of people, or have the perfect setting. How many of you would just love to have that sense of safety and security on a just regular basis? Not everybody. Casey's like, no, I like living on the edge, okay? <laughs> uh, and if you've worked with Casey on a construction site, you would understand that, okay? I want to as well. My parents and my siblings and our spouses built a place in the White Mountains of Arizona that had a credible sense of peace and security and safety. My parents sold that cabin over three years ago, and I must confess to you this morning that there has been a sense of loss since that time in my life. Of not knowing if I would ever get to return there, and if I've wondered if I would ever have that same sense again. Many of you are very well aware of what took place within our nation this week in Florida. The slaughter of youths by another youth. Our nation, our world is crying out for a sense of safety and security and peace and we think that through legislation we can obtain security and peace and safety. But it's not legislation that brings this. You see, God has used this passage in Daniel chapter 6 very personally for me this week. I thank you for the prayers 
of Jeffrey on Sunday night as I left out of the connect groups. I was not feeling very well, and Jeffrey just prayed, prayed for a time of, of peace, and he prayed for a time of restoration for me this week, and God used this passage of Scripture to powerfully bring that to me. He has shown me that security and safety is not a time, it's not a place, it's not a group of people, or it's not an event. Rather, it's a way of life. It's a way of life Daniel has been showing us and continues to show us in this passage. It's a life of complete surrender to God. It's, it's living so that God is proclaimed more and more, Daniel less. It's, it's living for God's praise and not for Daniel. As you look through the, the book of Daniel so far, you see a man that has ripped from his home and placed in exile a strange land far from the people he loves. And yet the guy is acting like he is at home every single day. He's living as if he's in a safe and a secure environment and every single action with the most powerful man in the world as he's dealing with kings and advising kings. But you wouldn't know Daniel is in exile. You wouldn't know Daniel's in Babylon far away from his home because he is acting as if he's home because the way he is with his God. It's, Daniel is practically living out a passage out of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that was read for you this morning. And you may have thought this is an odd New Testament reading for an Old Testament passage. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Daniel is living his life in the complete trust of who God is. And Daniel is saying to his God, I want me less and I want you more. I want your name proclaimed. I want your name glorified. I want the kings to speak your name, oh God. And Daniel is willing to lay down his very life for the praise and the glory of God in the midst of being an exiled people. experiencing safety and security by living a holy life. <laughs> I ran this idea of this message <laughs> by someone this week um, that we were going to talk about living holy. And, and I said to them, you know, I think as I study this passage, we're going to have to spend some time talking about living holy. And, and this person's response was, was not exactly positive. They were a little bit negative, actually. Um, because unfortunately, when we talk about living holy, it unfortunately carries a burden of morality, of law, and of rules, and of oppressiveness. We are reminded many times and we ha that we have not lived up to a standard and failed over and over again. But let me tell you what this morning, it is a travesty. It is devastating to our Christian faith and our life to think that living holy is something that is negative. It should be something that excites us, encourages us, 
gives us hope. But I do believe we have a hurdle, even for some of those that have become disenfranchised with the church or haven't even bothered with church, that they hear of this living holy or a Christian living and they don't want anything part of it because they say, I could never live that way, so why even attempt? But I'm here to challenge that thinking this morning. Daniel is here to challenge that to us this morning as we look at this passage. And I would like to read this passage. The idea of living holy is trying to do all things, all the right things. I want you to understand this. The idea of living holy is is trying to do all the right things. That is a lie. Listen to what Christ said in Luke 5, 30 and 32. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. If the Pharisees and if their moral and their ethical code and all the laws that they were trying to abide, if that was righteousness, God would have given them credit here for being a righteous people. But that's not living holy. What Christ has come is to save those people who recognize that they're a sick people in need of the good God and that there's nothing good that comes from us except for a life of Christ in us. And Christ alone is good. So if we think that living holy is trying to obey a bunch of rules, then we are like the Pharisees. And we don't need Jesus, we just need morality. Jesus came to show us that in order to live holy lives, we must die to ourselves. We must shout out from the loudest place, from the toppest mountain, I can't do good things and I can't live a good life. Rather, it is Christ in me that is good and that can bring about a good life for he alone is good. So living holy isn't living about what I can do, but it's about what Christ can do through me. Living holy is about dying to myself so that Christ can live in me. It's about me becoming less and Christ becoming more. So today as we look at the life of Daniel and talk about holy living, I want to you to remind yourself as we go through this that it's not about doing more but it's about surrendering more after all his yoke is easy and his burden is light you see the story of Daniel and the lion's dead is, is going to teach us four important things regarding holy living. And the first thing we find here is in the first five verses of Daniel. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now, you got to understand the time of the Babylonian Empire has come to an end. The time of the Mede and Persian Empire has risen up. And Darius is one of these kings that is ruling, a regional king that is ruling during this time. And so Darius is setting up his, his governmental structure underneath his rulership. And so he's got 120 satraps that are to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them are three of high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit, 
underline that, circle that. An excellent spirit was within Daniel. God was at work within Daniel's life. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, if you're a sad trap or if you're one of these high officials and you're watching one gentleman rise further and further into power, and if they're living in the mindset of what we talked last week of zero-sum power, they recognize that if Daniel rises in power, their power diminishes because in order for them to, for Daniel to have more power, he must take power from them. But last week, we challenged that notion. We challenged that notion because we said that God is the God who gives us creational power. Because when you put a Christian, when you put one who follows after God in power and position, he doesn't take power away from people. He gives power to them because of what God has done to him. It is so amazing. And so they're in fear of Daniel, but they shouldn't be. And then high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint, and I want you to understand this, or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then those men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. This is a righteous guy. This is a holy guy. This is a guy who's, who's living for God, who is completely surrendered to God. Here he is in exile, and Daniel could, in our perspective, seem to have every right to be angry at God for being in exile, but he doesn't. He isn't. He's saying, I'm gonna live for God. I'm gonna surrender my life. Even if it costs me my life, I'm gonna live for God in this place, and I want God's name to be proclaimed in this place, and I wanna live out what the prophet Jeremiah instructed, that because we are here, because the Israelite people are in exile right here, that Babylon will be blessed because God's people are present right there. God's people are at work. An excellent spirit, an extraordinary spirit was within Daniel. He had a heart and a passion to live for God, to surrender his life for God in all things. Some of us, as we think about this and we think about living holy lives that are distinct, it, it may feel, put a sense of fear in us like, but, but Scott, you're, you're asking me to like make sure, it's, it's, are you asking me to follow a bunch of rules? What are you asking me to do? How does the holy living distinct? And first of all, I go back to that issue of surrender. You got Romans 7 where Paul himself, and, and Paul is a pretty amazing person in scripture, wouldn't you agree? And he's living for God, he's been beaten for God. And he's so faithful to God, traveling around the, world, the, the ancient world, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to peoples, living his life uh, every day facing the sword and the possibilities of own death. But he just continued to go at it. But Paul in Romans 7 makes this powerful confession of, I want to do good things, but the problem is I don't do good things. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. And, and Paul confesses this place of contention as he is in the flesh, but he has been, his heart has been changed by God, and he's living this, 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 this portion of his life out very openly and very confessionally for us. But the solution for Paul is found in Romans chapter 8. And if you've got your Bibles open, turn over to Romans chapter 8. 
And in Romans chapter eight, we read this beautiful passage that Paul, Paul gives insight into the possibility of what it looks like to live a holy life. And he gives us hope as we ourselves are finding this battle within us, but we can live a holy life. And he says, this is the reason he says why. He says in verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Those of you who are in Jesus Christ this morning and you've trusted in Jesus, it is exciting for us to live this way because we have been given the Holy Spirit which sets us free. We have the opportunity to live a holy life as we surrender our lives. And read this with me as we continue on. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it today. And you need to memorize this piece of scripture today. You need to put this in your heart and your mind. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you who raised, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So how do you live a distinct holy life? It's not by following a list of rules. It is by surrendering your life and letting the spirit of God live through you, shine through you. I'm not calling you to morality or a code of ethics this morning. I'm calling all of us to a surrendered life where Christ lives through us, it shines through us, and we let him be put on display and his glory be made known. This is about, isn't about us doing more. It's not about Daniel doing more. It's about Daniel's surrender and obedience to the work that God was doing in his life, living holy, living distinct. And brothers and sisters, when Christ is shining through us, we look different than the world around us. And how amazing wouldn't it be for our coworkers, our peers, to say, I want to trip this person up. But every place I look to trip them up, I can't find one to trip them up. What makes them so distinct that makes them so different? We call this living a life that demands a gospel explanation. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. The next thing we see in verses 6 to 13, holy living isn't sidetracked by the unholy. Holy living is not sidetracked by the unholy. Turn back to, to Daniel, if you would, and we're still in Daniel 6, and we're looking at verses 6 to 13. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, now notice this, all the high officials, now wait a minute, minus one, right? Because Daniel's not in this conversation. Daniel's not included in this. Verse seven, and all the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, shall, o king, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius agreed and signed the document injunction. Then Daniel knew, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Then the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Have you ever in your life experienced a time where in which you came under the persecution of a group of people or you had a group of people gang up on you? Anybody? That a group of people came around and they got together for the sole purpose. And, and the word here is colluded. They colluded together. A bunch of people scrambling for power colluded together. A bunch of unlikely friends get together for one occasion. For the occasion of ripping somebody else out of power so they can take that power. They colluded together and joined together in an unholy, evil way to undermine the king and to undermine Daniel. Notice the king's own pride was part of the problem. The king thinks as these rulers, governors, satraps, they come in, he's, they're like, you know, king, wouldn't it be great for 30 days for people just to pray to you and sing your praises? And he's like, that's not a bad idea. And in so doing, he places himself against one of his dearest confidants in Daniel. But I love Daniel's response here. When Daniel heard about it, the first thing he does is he goes and he continues a habit. He continues something that Daniel and God had been doing on a regular basis. Daniel knows that the only way to live a holy life with God and to stay in tune with God is to be in communication with God. 
And so he goes to his regular place of meeting with God. And Daniel, his rhythm of life, and I want you to hear this for a sec second. This is what we call a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. So I'm not saying if you live, if you design to live a holy life today, that you're gonna go pray three times a day. And if you pray three times a day, then you'll be living a holy life. You can pray three times a day and still remain immoral, unethical, and an unholy person. But for Daniel, this was what God and Daniel had developed in the rhythm of life. And for Daniel to stay in tune with God, Daniel got, went to his room, got down on his knee to notice Daniel's position. He goes to a place to pray, and he's in a position to pray. He gets down on his knees before his God. Notice the purpose or the intention of his prayer. Is Daniel freaking out? These people are coming against me, God. It's a horrible situation. I'm doomed. No, it says he praised God. That Daniel, when faced with a group of people who have colluded to come together against him, a king who has signed an edict against him, what does Daniel do? He responds with praise. He's not freaking out. He's not worried. He's going, my God's got this. I'm gonna praise my God. For my God can deliver. Notice Daniel's holy living isn't sidetracked by what the unholy do. They even go back to the king and notice they, <laughs> there's a little bit of an in interesting thing going on here in the text is that people who are trying to catch and trip up Daniel witness him praying once, but they go to the king and they say, well, he's been petitioning three times a day. They've been watching Daniel for a while. This is a trap from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, it was so great. It seemed like everything I studied this week continued just to reinforce this text. And on Sunday morning during our men's DNA time, <laughs> we got together and we were going through Psalm 46. I want to read to you Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And you know what's beautiful about that psalm? When, when Psalm 46.10 comes, all the preceding verses that come, it's like the whole world is going nuts. The battle is raging around the, the writers of this psalm. The world is at war. And then there's also a piece of the psalm that references there's these natural disasters that are taking place. The whole world is falling apart. And God says, No, no matter who wins that battle, no matter what calamity faces the earth, no matter what takes place on the face of this earth, no matter if there's school shootings, earthquakes, tidal waves, tsunamis, doesn't matter. Be still and hear. No, he is God and his name will be exalted. You see, brothers and sisters, when instead of fear and anxiety crippling us in these moments where unholy, we're faced with unholy living, when evil is trying to take us down, instead of reacting in fear, if we go and we 
go to that rhythm of life that we have established as God and we get quiet before him and we seek to once again surrender our hearts saying, Lord, my heart wants to freak out right now. I want to be anxious. I want to be worried. I want to start figuring stuff out on my own. God is calling us to be still and hear his voice, hear his proclamation. I will have my name exalted. You don't have to conjure. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to be afraid. Be still and know this. And then when we get up from those times, we can act like Daniel does in the face of going to the lion's den. The next point I would like us to see this morning is that unholy living seeks to imprison. Now, we may sit here as we look through this text in verse 14 all the way to verse 20. We see what happens. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The king knows it. My pride has put my dear friend in peril. My pride, my desire to be worshipped has imprisoned other people. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is a law of Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. King, you're bound by your word. You're bound by the law. Then the king commanded Daniel and was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, notice this declaration. This is such a beautiful statement. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. You see, the king Darius knows that the only way an unholy living is undone is by the power of God. The only way unholy living is done, undone is by the power of God. Of God. Only God can save Daniel now. And a stone was brought and was laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Literally, his normal entertainment wasn't brought before him. And sleep fled from him. Now some of us may be sitting here thinking about people, unholy actions, evil actions that have been done to us. And you're like, absolutely, when people act in such a manner, it imprisons me and imprisons others. But brothers and sisters, do we see that our unholy actions do the same thing? When we seek praise for ourselves, when we seek glory for ourselves, when we start defending our name, when we feel like we've got to make sure the whole world knows who we are, we don't just imprison ourselves. We imprison those who hold us and love us and hold us dear. We hurt those around us. Unholy actions imprison others. But thanks be to God, because the power of God is able to undo such things. 
For the grace of God that is demonstrated through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior on the cross, enables us to seek forgiveness and find grace through Jesus. And that our effects of unholy living can be undone by the power of God. The final thing that we see this morning here is that living holy experiences liberation. The exciting end, the exciting conclusion, the, the exciting end of this, this passage of scripture where in which we see then at daybreak, and I love the idea of this, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. The king was there. The king was hopeful that the power of God had undone what his unholy evil heart had set in motion. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before God and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. This is such a beautiful statement. God has intervened. The power of God has stepped into this situation and I have not sinned against my God. I didn't rebel against my God in this moment. In this moment when unholy things were being done to me, I did not forsake the name of God. I didn't quit on God. I continued to pursue God. I continued to trust God. And and, and I got to live because I had a surrendered life to God. God got to live through me. And his name got to be praised in this moment. And I was found blameless before God. But not just God. He was found blameless before the king. Daniel had every right. I thought you were my friend. I thought you were looking out for me, king. And look what happened. You threw me in the lines and you threw me to my death. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't defame the name of the king. He doesn't curse the name of the king. He goes to the lion's den And I'm very sure with the same attitude that we've seen over and over again in the book of Daniel, if God delivers me, praise the name of God. If God doesn't deliver me, praise the name of God. Daniel has a submitted life to obedience to God. And he is able to make this statement to Darius the king. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Brothers and sisters, this is the hallmark of living a holy life, is a people who trust in their God to be who he is. And the king commanded, and those men who were maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Look what King Darius says of Daniel's God. He is a living God. 
He is an enduring God. The kingdom of this God will never be destroyed. He rescues and he delivers. This is a God who liberates. He does mighty deeds. And he just put them on display for us to see. Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus was getting ready to depart his disciples in the Gospel of John, he instructs them that it's good for him to go away so that the Comforter might come. In Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God is calling us in this example of Daniel for a life of surrender to him because we recognize that we are in exile. We are not home yet. And we recognize that this world has evil and holy people that will come against us and will seek to harm us. And God is saying in the midst of all of this, you can live holy for me. It is possible but, but not by obeying a list of rules, not by coming up with a code of ethics or morality code that will hold, but rather surrendering your life saying, I can do nothing good apart from Jesus Christ. And having Christ reign in us, having Christ become every part of every single piece of our lives. During our DNA time, Guy Evans gave us this great illustration of like the making a loaf of bread. And that, that yeast, when you add that yeast, and he, you know, somebody asks what is more important, the wheat or the yeast and making of the bread, and, and he's like, both are important. But when that yeast gets in there, it impacts that whole bread, and the bread starts to rise up. We want the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, not to be just a special additive that we ask to come make our, to be our lives better. I want us to understand that because I think sometimes we got this picture of Jesus and our God is that, oh, he's this little special ingredient that I've added to my life so my life will be good or my life will be better. No, he wants to infect every part of our lives. He wants to get in every tiny crack and span and he wants to see us surrender our lives completely to him and for us to understand that we aren't good. We're not and what's great, it's the most freeing thing that we can say. When we finally get to the point saying, no, I'm not good, God, you are. And the more I surrender my life, the more you invade every part of my life, the more all of my life can be a living and example for you like Daniel was here, and I can live holy for God. But it's not perfection I'm telling you we're going for here, brother, because you're gonna fall. And the grace of God makes it possible for us to be forgiven and get back up and live this holy life and once again submit to God, surrender to God, and live for him. I don't know about you, but this idea and this thought of being liberated, being safe, being secure, is something that I desperately want from my, my life for my wife's life, as much as it was for her to make that, I love the fact 
of what she was saying when she feels safe in my arms, but I want my wife to feel the safest in the arms of God the Father. And my kids to feel the safest in the arms of their father. So that whether they're in my house, they're on the playground, they're out in the world, Ethan's off to college, no matter where we find ourselves, that safety and security and the peace of God are not based upon location, people, or events, but rather upon the presence of our God in our lives. And I tell you, our world is in desperate need to hear that message today. Because people are freaking out. Because kids are being put in the ground as we speak. And they're wondering, is there any safe place left? Is there any secure place left? Is there any place of peace and hope left? And for us as children of God, we know that that place is found in complete surrender to the king. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you have liberated us. You have set us free in Jesus Christ. And you have given us the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the very spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You have placed within us so that this call to live a holy life is not an impossible call, but rather a surrendered call that we might live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our lives and in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Scott, uh, thank you. My name is Glenn, in case you were not aware, and um, I'm excited for today. This is uh, just the gospel, I think, uh, as clear as it can get. And um, as we get a chance now um, to let our hearts respond to this truth, uh, we're going to we get to do a couple things. We get to keep singing, and uh, our, our kids will also come, hopefully, and join us in this time of response for this. Uh, I would just, for my lack of good words, I want to read what Paul says in, five, in Galatians 5, his letter to the Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare it to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying that truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. It's the call to die. It's not the call to persevere harder. If you don't know that truth today, if you don't understand that freedom of true forgiveness of, 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 of 
the picture of baptism of dying to ourselves and being raised again in Christ, if you don't understand or know that in your life, would you please come and pray with me or Scott or any elder that you know? This is the good news, the freedom of what he bought for us on the cross.